You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Yeah, we don't often hear much from the prophet Haggai, but it's a very interesting book. Um, I'm sure that as you... um, as we go forward with the sermon that we are doing today, you will come to find out why it is an appropriate read for Property Team Sunday. Um, what Dale was just talking about was he was talking about the fact that Haggai was actually kind of the first Property Team leader. He was the guy that came in and said, listen, guys, wait, you guys are walking around here with different kinds of houses and everything, but the Lord's house doesn't look like it's built yet. I mean, it, it only has a foundation. It has no walls. And so what we're talking about this morning, we're actually going right to the text of the first property team leader, the first Bob, the first Dale um, of Scripture in Haggai. And so something that's interesting when we talk about property team is we think, oh, you know, they're the guys that come in, they take care of the building, they take care of the maintenance, they take care of, they do a lot of the work with our hands. And so we ask these people for a lot of stuff. And sometimes I, I hear... A lot of people come to Bob, especially, and they're very whiny. Now, I want this. I want that. I want you to fix this. I want you to fix that. You know, and dissatisfaction is something that we are very, very too familiar with at this part of our lives. There are often things that we desire that are just, that if we just have a tiny bit more, if we just have a tiny bit more of something, we'd be happy, right? We had just a tiny bit more money, then I'd be able to feel secure, in my place in life. I'd be able to feel like I can go anywhere and do anything and have God work in the ways that he wants to work through me if I just had a little bit more money. With the labor shortage, support is a huge thing. A lot of people say, if I had just a few more volunteers, if I had just a few more staff, then maybe I could get some rest. Maybe I could get a break. Maybe I could have the energy that I need to do to minister to people, to do all this stuff. I know personally, my thing is I need more time and I need more energy. You know, I've been working 12 hours uh, a week, some, uh, 12 hours a night uh, for seven nights a week some weeks. It gets tiring. You know, you get tired. You, there's not enough hours in a day to do all the stuff. And you just say, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd be satisfied. And I think that we can agree that the things that we want are not too unreasonable. We want a livable wage, right? We want something that we can live off of. We want the time to enjoy with our family. We want the time to enjoy with our friends. And we want the energy to do that. You know, that's not unreasonable. In fact, we want respect, we want rest, we want purpose, we want reward, and we want helpers. These are all things that God gave us, didn't he, in the, in the beginning at the garden. He gave us the respect that is due of the image of God. He gave us the seventh day to rest. He gave us purpose in tending, in ruling, in leading, in getting to name all of the animals. He gave us a reward of being in the presence of God, of having of having intimacy with, yes, our helper, which we also have. God gave us all these things. So the question that I'm going to ask you guys is, why would God withhold them now? Because this is not something that is unfamiliar to us. You know, if we all have these desires, if we all think, I just need a little bit more money, I just need a little bit more rest, I need a little bit more energy, I need a little bit more time to get everything done that I need to get done, then why does God withhold it from us? I mean, Doesn't God want us to have a good life? Doesn't God want us to prosper? Doesn't God want us to have our best life now? 
I mean, if you look back here at Jeremiah 29, 11, this is a very popular verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And surely I'm not asking for a prosperity gospel, right, when I say that that is what God wants for us. He wants us to have a good life. God doesn't want us to suffer. We're asking just a, are we just asking for just a small bit more than what we have? I mean, if God has a plan for human flourishing and God has a plan for our hope, then why are we not experiencing it? If God has a plan for us to be okay, for us to be rested, for us to be content, for us to not wake up with aches and pains every day, for us to have the energy to do all the jobs that we have to do, for us to have the money to pay, to take people out and to minister to them, to have the time and to have the emotional endurance to deal with people because people can be the most tiring thing that you deal with sometimes. If that's what you need, then why doesn't God provide it? Well, I think the most valuable thing that we can look at here when it comes to Jeremiah is um, just the context of Jeremiah and what he was talking to. Now, you might not know this, but while this, improper, while this prophecy is important for us, it's actually not a prophecy to us. See, this is something, it's, it's very, very nice that we put on you know, pillows. I have a little pillow in my room that actually has this verse on it. And it's something that we put on our mirrors, you know, next to the live, laugh, love kind of thing. We say, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, God, I know the plans that I have for you. But this is actually coming from a prophet talking to the people of um, Israel and Judah. It comes from Jeremiah, and he's saying to them that they are going to go into exile. He has all this entire book saying, like, you know, you have been wicked. And uh, we were talking on Wednesday night that in chapter 3, he actually hands Israel a certificate of divorce. and says, I want nothing to do with you. You know, you are wicked. You are adulterous. You have other idols before me. You kill. You steal. You don't you're not reverent to me, so I'm going to let Babylon take you over. I'm going to let you be occupied in this situation for a while. But what he also says is he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I'm going to bring you out of that. I have a plan to prosper you. I've not forgotten the, the promises that I made to Abraham. I've not forgotten the promises of making a, the, the nation of Israel more than the stars and taking care of the nation of Israel for them being his people. He hasn't forgotten his prophecy to them. See, God was going to bring them out of his exile. He was going to restore them, and he was going to be their God. He was going to make them his people, and he was going to make them acknowledge that he is their God. But why is this, prophe why is this prophecy important to us then? I mean, it seems like that's pretty straightforward. That is for them, right? And their situation in exile, they're going to be brought out of Babylonian occupation, and they're going to be brought into freedom again after they suffer the punishment that was due them after they were not faithful to God. Why is this important to us? I mean, this happened thousands of years ago. Well, it shows us between the similar stories between us and them, the character of God. Because we do have a plan for human flourishing, and we do have a hope for a future, but it runs parallel to Jeremiah 29, 11. It does not run the same course. We do not have the same hope that they had, although they did have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of Christ primarily. This is talking about the hope of them getting out of exile. And this is where it talks about where our hope rests. Our hope rests in this thought from Romans 5 too. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
We have the hope that even though we are these whiny beings that go and talk to Bob and say, Bob, it's just a little bit too hot in the sanctuary. Bob, the grass is just a little too high this week. Bob, can you help me with this? Bob, can you help me with that? Even though we're that annoying, God still reached down and saved us. He gave us a hope of that. So why did I take you through Jeremiah and this? Why did I show you these two paralleling stories? How is this going to help us with that, with our being tired, with our time, with our money? I mean, this seems like, okay, yeah, good. I got hope. I got hope for the future. I'll, I'll look forward to it. But what about now? Why not now? Well, by looking at the post-exilic story of Haggai, we can see the character of God, and thus we can see what God might be saying to us today. Because God doesn't change. Even though he was talking to a different type of people, his hope still is there. Even though there's a different hope, God is still a hopeful God, right? And so what is important to understand is the background of Haggai. Since I'm sure that it's not a book that you guys are all familiar with, because I was not all too familiar with it before this week, but I got really, really well acquainted with Haggai this week. And like I mentioned before, Haggai was a minor prophet. He was the first property team leader, and um, he came in and he was active right after Jeremiah came, because Jeremiah was talking about bringing them out of exile, and right after God brought them out of exile, they're sitting around looking around like, what do we do? You know, we're, we're prospering now. We're doing good. We, we're getting a lot of money. We're getting a lot of food. We're getting a lot of crops. We're getting a lot of animals, and so they just start, they're like, you know what? We're going to start building the base of the house of God. We're going to start building the base of the second temple of God, not Solomon's temple, but the second temple, because Solomon's temple was destroyed when Babylon came in. So they're like, we're going to build the second house of God. And they laid down the foundation. And then after they laid down the foundation, they're like, okay, okay. You know, we got some good work going on here. Good job, property team. Now we're going to go home and we're going to just start, you know, putting up the walls on our houses and putting windows on our houses. And so he was one of the first prophets of the time after Israel was in exile under Babylon rule. They were free from Babylon, they'd experienced some prosperous times, and they'd even begun building the foundation of the temple of the Lord, but something was wrong now. Something had changed. If you paid attention to what Dale was reading, it seems like the people's prosperity had ceased. Like Dale had said earlier, the people, when they put money in their pocket, there was almost like there was holes in it. Doesn't that seem familiar to some of us? Doesn't money just go like water through our fingers sometimes? Seems like they're tired. They work really hard. They work really hard on what they want to do, and they don't bear the fruit of their labor. Nothing comes of the work that they do. Doesn't that feel like how it can feel sometimes when you're working on a project and working on a project, and you're like, what is the point of this? Like, like this isn't working. I just can't get it right. I can't get it to fit. I can't get it to work. Their crops were little. Their, their commerce was little. And the question on their mind is similar to the question that is on our mind. What happened to that prosperity, God? What happened to the hope? What happened to the promise for a future? And where are you? Well, and just as they had begun asking this question, just as they didn't think that they had any hope, the Bob and the Dale of their lives came strutting in, Haggai, and he said, okay, guys, we got a plan. He says in Haggai's one, he says Haggai 1, and uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet, who's Zerubbabel the king Shetel, and the governor of Judah, and Joshua the son of Jehozakiah, uh, the high priest. That is, those are really hard words. I'm sorry, Dale. <laughs> uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say that the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
Now, why is this important? I'm going to stop you right here, but why is this important to note that, that God says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Firstly, the people are speaking for God instead of listening to God, right? God actually says something very important. God doesn't address them as the Israelites say. He doesn't say the Israelites say that it's not time to build my house. He doesn't say the Jews say it's not time to build my house. He doesn't say my people say that it's time to build my house. God specifically says these people say. Now, how oftentimes does God separate himself from people? The number one thing that I think of is when Jesus says, you wicked and adulterous nation, and he's talking to the same people. He's distanced himself because he's saying, you're not acting like my people. You're acting like your own people. You're acting like how you acted in the book of Judges where you were doing everything that was right in your own mind. There was no king in the land of Israel. They were all just doing what they thought was right. And they were using scripture to do it. Now, I, I tell you what, Rachel knows this too, but that is the number one pet peeve of mine. You can do anything you want, say anything you want, disrespect anything you want, have the opinion you want. And I will, I will challenge it and I will talk to you biblically. But if you start to use scripture and twist it, say, well, you know, these people say that it's not time to build the house of the Lord yet. You know, somebody's saying, well, it's not really time for us to follow God right now. I mean, we've got bigger things going on. You see how the money's flowing through my hands? You see how much, how tired I am? You see how many hours I'm working? You see how many people are on our staff? I mean, it's not time yet to do that, obviously. You're speaking for God. You're not speaking in your turn. You're not speaking in your position. You are man. You were lesser than God. You couldn't possibly know the thoughts of God. And so God is making it abundantly clear you are not acting like his people. But why does God make this bold distinction? We see this in Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai. So, God, so Haggai said this first. It came to the mouth of Haggai, and he said this. And then it came to the hand, and it said, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Isn't that tough? Right here, God is pointing out the first thing that we should assess when we run our lives and we run our ministry. God is asking the very important question, where do I fall on your list of priorities? Where do I come in? Because it becomes very, very clear where he falls in the list of priorities. Because it's not just like they had their foundations built on their houses and the house of the Lord's foundations were built and they were at equal playing field. You know, if it looked like a scale and you're weighing a scale, this is how much is done of God's house. Not very much. This is how much is done of Israel's houses. I mean, when they talk about paneled houses, that's literally talking about windows. It would be like if I said, okay, so, you know, you see the backyard there with the tree on the side of the church, you know, I'm going to just put that little stump right there, I'm just going to put a little flag in it, and that is now the house of God. And then this church, this is my house, with all the beautiful windows and all the tapestries. It's saying they haven't even taken the time to put up the walls on the temple of the Lord's house yet, and they're putting up windows. Why do I bring this up on Property Team Sunday? It's because it's thematic, Right? You know, it's building, it's getting dirty, getting rough and heavy. Of course, Haggai is the first property team leader, but members of our property team are here today and they're working day in and day out to make sure that the house of the Lord is cared for. Their priority is making sure 
that we're ready for whatever God wants to do, that we're ready to care for people as people have their needs, that we're ready, for, we're ready to educate people, that we're ready to give people fellowship, that we're ready to outreach for people. It's clear that God is their first priority. But make no mistake, this isn't about just property. This isn't about just the church building itself. It is about that. But what God is talking about is priority, not property. God is talking about, okay, maybe it's not you're building your house, but what does your time look like? Where, do you, where are you investing most of your time? Are you investing time in Scripture at the very beginning of the day? Are you praying to God? When was the last time you talked to God? When was the last time that you read from His Word and tried to allow Him to speak to you? These things are important things. It's about priority. When was the last time that you took somebody out to eat and that you ministered to them? When was the last time that you actually paid for somebody? When was the last time that you didn't look at your wallet and say, hmm, yeah, no, better, you know, I guess I'll do it. You know, I'm not trying to say that it's all about money and that it's all about time and that it's all about buildings, but I am trying to say it's about priorities. Where does God fall on your list of priorities? That should be on your sermon outline somewhere in there. Now, Haggai goes on, and he says, in Haggai 1, verses 5 to 7, he says, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns his wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So here we get the theme of the passage, and here we get the sermon title, right? The sermon title is always the main point. It's always the most important thing for you to do. And this is pretty much what you are, I'm asking you guys to do, is consider your ways. I'm not, I'm not coming up here and saying, join the property team, help us out, you know, do this and, and do that, and give us money, give us your time, give us this, give us that. I'm asking you to consider your ways. I'm asking you to sit down and figure out who is God to you? Where is he on the list of priorities? If you had to scale your life, this being you, yourself, and your needs, and this being what God expects of you, what does this look like? Take a look at that scale. Consider your ways. But another distinction that Haggai and the Lord make in, this, in the title is in the title of God, what God calls himself. You know, God could call himself anything. He could call himself omniscient, knowing, all-knowing. He could call himself all-powerful. But he calls himself almighty, being the most powerful, without any distinction, worthy of all praise. That's what the Lord of hosts means. It, it roughly translates to God almighty or God the most mighty. Now, why is this important? I think it's intentional. Look at how he bookends the things that he says. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You don't have any of these things. You know, you want, and then this stuff slips through, your weight, weight, um, slips through your fingers. You need time, but you waste it. You know, you have money, but it goes away. Consider your ways, thus says the Lord of hosts. God is asking the Israelites, are you treating me like an almighty God, or are you treating me like a genie? Because when everything was prosperous, you were able to build your paneled houses, right? You are able to get that. You are able to get there. You are able to get your commerce. You are able to get your food, and that's because you treated me well. But now you decide to treat me like a genie. But even a genie, if anybody has listened to Disney, even genies have a teeny tiny little living space. 
to call their own with houses and windows and roofs. God doesn't even have walls on his house yet. God is obviously not a priority, and that's why he says to consider their ways. Consider. He's saying, you treat me less than the almighty God that I am, and I will not provide for you like the almighty God that I am. If you treat me like a genie, I'll give you the three wishes you got, and then that's it. You wanted commerce, you wanted food, you wanted paneled houses. You got them, and now you get no more. But if you treat me like the almighty God that I am, if you prioritize me, if you lift me up here, then I will provide for you the way that I've told you that I will. I will provide for you according to the way that you treat me. Now, God is always going to provide for us. God is always going to take care of us. But when you have that dissatisfaction, look at your priorities. Are you dissatisfied because you see God is owing you something? Or are you dissatisfied because you don't understand who God is? That's the truth of the matter. It's not that God is going to say to you, you treat me like a genie. But if we view God like a genie, that's how God is going to look to us. If that's the identity, if that's the thing that God is to us as a genie, that's what he'll appear to be. That's what the perspective is. But God is always the almighty God. God has standards. And so he's asking you to consider your ways according to his standards. I'm not saying that the only reason that you do not have what you desire is because you neglect God. But I'm saying the reason why you're dissatisfied is. I'm saying that the reason why you're not happy, the reason why you're tired, the reason why you don't have money might be because you haven't considered your ways. Now take a look at this. Consider how much you value your own pleasures over what pleases God. Look at that scale on your, on your bulletin. I put that there on purpose for you to look at that and just think about your priorities, your pleasures, and what, God, what pleases God. How might, we do what we are, how might we do what we are considered to do correctly? We must consider it with biblical counsel. How can we correct this problem? We need to do it with biblical counsel. Now, why is that? You say, why can't I just consider my ways on my own? Why can't it just be me and God figuring it out? Why can't it just be me and the Holy Spirit just sitting down and saying, okay, God, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll figure out, you know, where I'm, I'm neglecting you and all that. Because that's where this chapter starts. This chapter begins with, Haggai, with God saying, these people have said it's not time. It's not that these people haven't considered their ways. It's they've considered their ways without making God a part of it. By being alone and considering their ways, they say, oh, no, it's not time yet. I'm okay. I'm good. I do enough. I'm all right. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, God doesn't need me for more than that. And I'm not saying that God does need you for more. There are many people here. There are 20% of people doing a lot of work here. And I'm not saying that you guys are slackers, but I'm saying that there are people that are working really, really hard here. And this message is not necessarily for you. Because when you consider your ways and you say, you know what, I give all I got, that's okay. But consider it according to what God says. Consider it according to biblical counsel. Ask people, say, you know, is there anything that I can be doing to help? And if you're doing too much, they'll be like, dude, you just, you know what you can do to help? Rest, relax, calm down, chill out. It's okay. But you need to do it with biblical counsel because that's the first error that the people that were under Haggai did not do. They did it according to their own ways. They did what was right in their own eyes. They saw no problem with their ways. It was only when God confronted them through Haggai with the truth that they saw how tipped the scales were. When they saw, oh yeah, we have, 
windows on our houses and the temple of God doesn't even have walls. It's only when, the, when they were given a perspective of biblical counsel through Haggai, through a leader, through a spiritual leader, through the Lord's word that God gave him. It was, it's those two things com- combined. Because us spiritual leaders, if you ask us for help, sometimes we'll, we'll take it and we'll, and we'll take too much of it. But go to scripture. Scripture is the most important thing here. Scripture and biblical leadership will determine to you how you should consider your ways. Determine to you how much of yourself are you giving to God? How much of a priority is God to you and in your life? And they did see the truth. It says in Haggai 1, verse 8 to 11, it says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I might take pleasure in it, and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while each of you bruises himself by working on their own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought in the land and the hills on the grain and the new wine and the oil and the ground brings forth on man and beast on all their labors." This is what happens in Genesis 3, right? It becomes so hard for people to toil. The work of their hand, the work that's the curse of what Adam gets is the work of your hands becomes so much harder. And it's because you disobey God. It's because you didn't make God the top priority. We see this at the very, very beginning and God is saying, you're doing it again. You're doing it again right here. And this is a call to action that God has. God tells them what to do. He said, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house of the Lord that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified in it. God calls his people to honor him after their time of neglect. This is one of your um, things on your sermon outline, that God calls his people to honor him after their time of neglect. Oftentimes, we leave our convictions without actions. We play pretend like God will honor us and give us what we want so long as we feel bad for what we do. Oh, God, I I really feel bad. I really feel bad that, you know, my house has windows and you don't even have walls. That's just a shame. Well, I'll see you next week, God. Oh, God, I feel really bad that, you know, I haven't taken any time to talk to you this week. I feel really bad that I haven't read your word this week. I feel really bad that you you just haven't been a priority this week. I'll talk to you later, God. But God, I, I feel really bad that I haven't invested any of my assets or invested any of who I am, my energy, my time, my money into you, and that I've invested it all into my own things. But I'll see you later, God. That's not what God is saying for you to do. God is saying he wants you to turn from your selfish thoughts and turn toward honoring God. Pastor Brett talks about this a bunch of times. The act of repentance is not just simply feeling bad for your sin. It's turning away from it. God is being neglected here. Turn away from neglecting him. And I'm not saying that you're neglecting God. I'm saying first, see how the scale is. Then consider it. Then adjust it. First, see how the scale is. If the scale is already okay, then that's fine. But this is something that you... Here, here's something, a tip of advice. Everybody feels this way. Everybody gets this way. There's, there's going to be times when you are selfish. So even if this sermon isn't for you this Sunday morning, this sermon will be for you another Sunday. So keep it with you. Always be looking first at where the scale is, then consider it, then adjust it. 
Consider it with biblical counsel and then adjust it. Because God wants you to turn from that. He wants you to turn from your selfish thoughts and, toward, and turn towards honoring him. And look what happens when they do this. And I know that this, and, and by the way, I know that this is true because God doesn't change and this story runs parallel to ours. It's not just Haggai's story, you know what I mean? It's not just the fact that this happened and that this should be forgotten, but it's the fact that they had a, a prosperity that they were promised in Jeremiah 21, 11. We have it in Romans. They were given it after they were not selfish and they repented and they built the house of the Lord. We will be given it if we prioritize him in our lives. It's parallel because God doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament, is the same God that he is today, is the same God that he will be forever. And so look what happens. They actually do it. It says in Haggai 1, 12 to 14, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the works of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke with his people, and the Lord's message was thus, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Jetel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, comma, their God. God finally, after such a long separation, after such long neglect, after such a long time where the scales were this way, says, I am with you. You are my people, and I am your God. Why? Because you took action. It doesn't mean that the scale has to go like this, but it means that they slowly just start taking one and putting it here, and taking one and putting it here. It didn't say that as soon as the temple was built that God said, I am with you. It says, as soon as there was effort built into building the temple, as soon as you start to sacrifice just a little bit of time, just a little bit of your emotions, just a little bit of your energy, that God says, I am with you. And they can see it, and it's palpable because Haggai says it. It takes time for it to be made right between God and people. But notice what happens also when the, Israels, when the Israelites repent, when they start taking and putting it and taking and putting it. It says in verse 13, no, it says in verse 14, sorry, they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, God Almighty. And it says, comma, their God. See, when they take ownership of God, that restoration, that process, he begins to be in that important place again. He is associated with them again. He is their God, and they are his people now. Remember where we started the passage at the beginning of the day? It was these people, those people over there. You are not acting. You're treating me like a genie. Okay, I am not a genie. But as soon as you start acting like I'm the great and almighty God, as soon as you start acting and giving me the praise that is due my name, as soon as you start taking a little bit from here and putting it over here, then he's their God. Then they are his people. When people see their injustice towards God, Right? They see it, and then they consider it with wise counsel, and then they make it right. They adjust it. They stop being 
these people. They start being, they stop being this people and they're identified as God's people. And this is the main point of the message. And, and like I wanted to repeat again, sometimes when you consider your ways, it looks good. It looks the way that it's supposed to, but it won't always be that way. It was like that at the garden. Now they ate the apple and it was like, boom. The weight dropped. It was like that as soon as they exited exile, boom, the weight dropped. There's a reason why they had to go to exile. Why did they have to go to exile? Because they needed things and then they worshiped other gods. Boom, the weight dropped. Now we were talking about Peter in Sunday school. Peter says to God, he says, he says to Jesus, he says, you are the Messiah. He's one of the first people to say that. And then a few letters down, it says, you know, Jesus was talking about his death. And then Peter says, oh no, God, surely that won't happen. Because guess what? That's what Peter wanted. Peter didn't want his friend Jesus to leave him. He didn't want it. Boom. Dropped. His desire became more important than what God wanted. And that's why Jesus, Jesus in one section says, when, when Peter, it's so funny when you read it because it's literally back to back. Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, you get it. And on this rock, your, your name will be Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. He's basically saying, yes, yes, I am your God and you are my people. But then how does he identify Peter next? When Peter says, no, surely you won't, God, surely no, because I don't want that to happen. He says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. You can't be more disconnected. You cannot be more less of a person of God than Satan. They're literally opposed. Even secular culture knows that, you know, Satan, God, kind of very different. And Jesus makes that very abundantly clear. And so this is not, if this isn't something for you this morning, this will be something for you another morning. This will be information that you need. You will need to know how to look and then how to consider and then how to adjust. It's clear that when we give God what is due his mighty name, he'll place his presence and his blessing on his people. Not for their selfish glory. Not for what they want. Not for the money in their pocket. But for his work. And what you got to believe is that his work is good, that God will take care of you, that God will say, I am with you, and that you are my people, and that I will provide for you. And I won't just provide for you the way that a genie does. I'll provide for you the way the Almighty God does. I'll provide, you think you need this, but I'll give you what you actually need. You think that you need more time, but I'll give you satisfaction, and I'll give you energy. You think you need more money, but what you need is proper management, humbleness, stewardship, you think you need all of this other stuff, but God is going to give you what you actually need. And that's not prosperity gospel. That is the gospel. Prosperity gospel is saying that they're going to give me, God will give me money, God will give me time, and God will give me energy. That's a genie gospel, and that's a false gospel. But the real gospel is that God will give you exactly what you need should you trust in him, should you be his people, should you take and look at where you placed your life, you consider it, and then you adjust it accordingly. And the story of Haggai is a very happy story. They do it. They take it. They look at it. They consider it. They say, you know what? It's not good. And then they adjust it. And then God comes and, be, and, and is with his people. But here's the challenge. What of the story of Faith Church on 4th Ave and North Temple Boulevard? Is that story a happy one or not? That's not for me to tell. It's not for Pastor Brett to tell. It's for all of us to tell. 
Now, you determine if your story is going to be a happy one or not. It's, it's a choice of you whose person you want to be. And I'm not here to condemn you. And I'm not here to tell you that you're not doing enough because, to be quite honest, I think that we do a lot. I think we do a great job here at Faith Church. I'm here to teach you how to consider your ways. How to consider your ways when it does fall out of balance, because it will. We're human. Even David, a man that was after God's own heart, you know, he had the faith to face Goliath. God put his blessing on him as king and then takes one look at Bathsheba and I think we can all acknowledge the fact that we're no better than King David, that we all need this message, that we all need to know how to consider our ways, consider the areas where our pleasures are just more important than God's in our lives, where God's just not a priority. Is he not a priority in the way that you manage your time? Is he not a priority in the thoughts in your mind, in the affections of your heart, in the work of your hands? Is he not a priority? And the holistic being of who you are, is he a priority or is he not? Because that, Faith Church, is what determines your story. That's what determines if this church is just a tiny church on the corner of a forgotten street in the middle of, in the middle of Muhlenberg, or if this is a life-changing, life-saving church. I'll tell you what, if the property team did not think that this church did not take this seriously, did not consider their ways, we would be looking at a really, really decrepit building right now. But we have a beautiful building. But what of the church inside it? The church is not a building. Like Dale said very eloquently, I did forget a very important part of property team, but it's also a very important part of everybody else. How do we build each other up? How do we prioritize each other? Because guess what? The golden rule applies. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Minister to them. Give them the hope of the gospel. How often do we do that and how often do we just shut our mouths and not say a word? You determine if your story is going to be a happy one or not. Faith Church has been blessed and its ministry has been blessed in all that we are doing. But I don't just want to challenge the church as a whole. I want to challenge you as individuals, as the church universal. Look inside of yourself. What about your ministry? What about your reality? Where is God on your list of priorities? Is God a thought in the back of your mind? Is God something that just doesn't come up? When you look at what you are doing and who you are and where you are and what your assets go to, where does God fall on that list of priorities? Maybe God is not your God. Maybe he's a genie, or maybe he's not real. But I encourage you to look at what happened to Haggai. I encourage you to look at what our proper team does. I encourage you to look at what Andy Becker does. I encourage you to look at what Julie Faust does. I encourage you to look at what my father has done. To look at these people. People that you can look at as spiritual giants. And if I didn't name your name... It's not because I don't think highly of you. It's just because these are the people that I know. These are the people that have considered their ways and work. I just want to challenge you to consider your ways, Faith Church. Because it's up to you whose person you'll be. It's up to you if this story ends in a happy way or if this story ends in disaster. Will you pray with me? 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words of your prophet Haggai. God, I know that they can be challenging. God, I know that the cynical nature in us wants to say that this is just a sermon to get all of us going and get all of us to go to the work day or to help the property team more, that this is a sermon to put more in the offering plate or that this is a sermon to do this. But no, this is a sermon, God, that you have given first to Haggai and that you're giving to Faith Church to consider our ways. It's not of condemnation, but of contemplation. It's not of condemnation, but conviction that leads to us thinking, God. Thank you that your word doesn't condemn us, that doesn't make us feel evil or feel sinful, but thank you for a word that informs us, that helps us to be more like you. Because God, apart from you, we're helpless. You're a genie in a bottle that can't do anything. God, let us not be these people that do their own things, that we live in paneled houses when the church of God is no longer growing, when it's in danger, when it's threatened. Let us not be these people, but let us be your people enacting your will, balancing those scales. God, be with us as we go and as we seek leaders to consider our ways, to consider what we can do, to consider how we can help. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 